You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 504 for January 8th, 2020. On today's show, guitarist and oud player Gordon Gradina. This show is supported by its members, without whom the Jazz Session would not be possible. There are two levels of membership, $5 and $10 per month. Both come with bonus episodes every month. You can visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member right now. Gordon Gardena's new album with pianist Matt Mitchell and drummer Jim Black is called Nomad. Here's how it starts. Gordon Gardina, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hey, Jason. Uh, thanks for having me. There's so much to talk about with you because uh, one thing that is definitely true is that you are a person who uh, enjoys making music, enjoys putting together different groups of musicians, and is really good about documenting those things. But uh, to try to pick a, a place to start, let's start with an album that, as people are listening to this, comes out in a couple days, comes out January 10th of 2020, and that's an album called yeah. Nomad <laughs> with your Nomad Trio. Will you tell us who's in the trio and how this idea came to you? Uh, so the trio's uh, myself on guitar and, and oud, and then uh, Matt Mitchell on piano and Jim Black on drums. The band came together about a, um, about a year ago, about a year and a half, I guess. And uh, I wanted to do a project with Matt. We, my, he was uh, when I started my quartet. He played in that a little bit at the beginning, but we couldn't kind of make it work scheduling wise and time wise. So. I kind of had in the back of my mind I wanted to do a project with Matt. Same with Jim. I've been a fan of Jim Black's playing for years and always wanted to do something. And I know they played together, but they hadn't played together a lot. But I could kind of hear that sound working, so I thought, let's get that band together and do something. So I I got a tour together, and we did a short kind of uh, Western Canadian tour and then recorded the thing that's coming out on the tent. Tell me about the approach to recording. When you guys got together to do this tour, did you had you provided kind of some sketches? Like, here's some ideas I have. Um, Tell me about that. Yeah, it was all pre-written. So, I mean, it, I, I wrote pieces for the for that group, like with them in mind. It's kind of like a lot of them were written with Matt in mind. Some of the stuff we had also done in my uh, quartet, or I was going to do in the quartet, so I kind of like changed it to work with just this trio. So it was really written with Matt and Jim in mind. So it was some longer pieces and then um, more episodic things too, where it would start somewhere and end somewhere completely different. That was kind of my my planning on that, is trying to keep things moving and leave like a, a lot of space for 
improv for us to be able to say what we wanted to, but also be able to write some ideas and that I've been thinking about for a long time. And with those guys, you can kind of write whatever you want, and they can do it pretty easy. So that was it was a, it's a challenging band for me personally to like write kind of whatever I want to write and then figure out how to play it <laughs> for myself. And these guys are like incredible, so it's a very uh, satisfying band to write for. There are lots of ways to solve the inherent challenges of having a guitarist and a pianist in the same band, or really anything, you know, piano and vibes, guitar and vibes, anything where there's lots yeah. of fingers, lots of lots of notes and chordal possibilities. And so yeah. I'm curious about how you thought about that where this band was concerned. Well, a lot of the, the writing I've been doing uh, in the last while is really uh, kind of contrapuntal. So a lot of it had to do with different lines working at the same time. So in that sense, you can kind of do it with whatever instrument. And the thing with Matt is that he's really great at working that out so that we could end up making these harmonies work. So it's basically a lot of the music is written as like three lines. It's kind of like his two hands and me, you know? So that kind of is one, one way I kind of got around, you know, dealing with chordal instruments is writing really linearly so that it, it kind of comes off as uh, could be like three different instruments at once, even though it's, you know guitar and piano and then the other harmonic step was very i was really um really specific about the chords and everything that i was i was writing so that him him and i could uh voice things together and that so i was writing out like i wasn't writing you know like lead sheet type stuff this was like i was writing out specific voice and specific chords that we were going to play so i kind of thought through that kind of beforehand when we're improvising then we you know we just go go by her and it's never it's like that kind of thing i find is never an issue when you're when you're improvising because everyone's listening you're playing with what you hear happening next so it kind of doesn't really get in the way much but i kind of figure in the written stuff it can really get in the way so that way i ended up writing specifically to make sure that didn't happen yeah that seems very much like you know the the kind of classic thing about you hire the right people in it it tends to work itself exactly. out in, in the improvising. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of how most of my, most of my uh, like writing goes. Is basically I just like in band creation is I just kind of in my head kind of hear and think about the band I want with the people, and then once that's said, it's kind of like then that's it. After that, we just you know <laughs> we go and I kind of take off the reins and don't do much because it's taking care of itself. So basically, it's just like naming people together. That's kind of band creation, you know. Yeah. Seems to work. Yeah. It's cool that this kind of got even before there was uh, a record, which you know, in the case when it's when it's three busy people, sometimes the the amount of time you get to play together before the record, you know, is uh, is pretty fleeting. It's cool that you guys actually had a chance to be on stage for that uh, Western Canada tour, so that by the time you got into the studio, <clears throat> it, you know, the the kind of parameters were worked out. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of happened. We, I mean, it wasn't huge year. We had about three or four, three or four shows, kind of worked, and then, uh, um, but that was kind of enough to make the band really gel, get together. I, I, I found that for a long time when I was, I started kind of working with bands in New York, because I, I don't live there. I, I travel there. I was kind of like traveling there, and then in a couple of months coming back and doing a gig, and then the same band doing a gig, and I found like the music wasn't really getting anywhere doing that, like in spacing it out different if you're in your hometown you just you know everyone gets together and you play whenever you can but even then i i kind of find that bands kind of don't work like that anymore <laughs> unless you have enough money to keep a band on the road you kind of just have to like find a bunch of time get everyone together and then learn the music for that time play it and then then it's done and then you move on and then you do it again the next time you can get together and get a bunch of shows so they're kind of like these pockets of groups and that's how i think it worked best so we didn't really like get together every couple months or something like that. It's just like the music got out. We talked about it. It made sense. We got together, did a rehearsal, and then we did like four shows in a row. And that kind of is the arc of the group. And I kind of feel like that works the best for my music, I think, and those bands. It's kind of concentrated efforts. Because then everybody can like really dig in. They can dedicate time to it and uh, learn the music and get inside the vibe and, you know, get get it kind of uh, solidified in a short amount of time. It's interesting. I mean, that almost feels like the approach that people might take in theater or that a stand-up comic who's going to write an hour, perform it, come back next year, write another hour, that kind of thing, you know, where, yeah, you know, we might have thought of this music once and certainly in other forms of, you know, other genres of music, you know, you know who the four members of your favorite band are. And that's just not, as you point out, not the case anymore. So it's, that's an interesting approach to like, just create the environment make some music in that time and not need to hold on to it as this is how it's always going to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, the nature of this music is that in general. I mean, we can't, it's a fleeting music anyway, right? We're, 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 we're just like dancing in a moment in time and then letting go of it all. And even as we're playing, we have to let go of what we think of something being good or bad or anything in the moment. So it's kind of like an extension of that to just have like, you know, time is fleeting. <laughs> You know, we only have a certain amount, a finite amount of time to do what we want to do and just work within those parameters and do the best you can and then let it go and move on to the next thing. Most bands, I think, are kind of working that way as opposed to the old, you know, like the band Pink House Theory of like everyone living together in a house for years and writing music and constantly playing. That kind of is unrealistic in today's world, especially with people being so busy and having so many other things and to do and, and to sort of market-driven thing being like you you know it's kind of impossible to keep one band going all the time you kind of have to have different avenues and different bands to keep keep um keep moving it's so funny yeah. you just as an aside gave the example you just gave because last week i was on a, a podcast run by two canadians talking about music from big pink so it's just it's totally <laughs> totally on my mind right now i was just a guest it wasn't yeah. my own show but uh yeah, it's, yeah. it's very funny when you said that i was like oh wow all my worlds are coming together right now yeah it's canadian stuff man so like, <laughs> that's right exactly <laughs> you just have the big you know, big in your head all the time. <laughs> that's right. There's a certain <laughs> amount of CanCon on the jazz session that's required now, I guess. So I'm glad you're. Uh, there, there you go. Thank you. Sure. Appreciate it. The jazz session really is the first and oldest jazz interview podcast. It started back when very few people knew what a podcast was, and most folks thought you needed an iPod to listen to one. 
Nearly 13 years later, the show is still going strong, but I'd like to be able to do so much more with the jazz session. More in-person interviews, more festival coverage, more travel, and that's possible only if you decide that you value this show enough to support it. If you do, go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member for 5 or $10 a month. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to every show, and more. Thank you for being here all these years. Now, become part of the next 500 episodes by becoming a member. Back to the show. you about another record that comes out at the same time as this and this is an extremely rare in fact it might be unique case on the jazz session of me asking an artist about a record i have not heard i never oh, do yeah. that but i haven't heard the album that's called resist which comes out on uh, john arabagon's label and i know that it comes out roughly the same time as nomad so i just want to ask you about it but i can't ask you about it intelligently having heard anything about it i don't even know who's on the album so perhaps you could just tell us something about the project <clears throat> Yeah, so that's uh, um, a septet that I actually just got the CDs uh, last week. But um, that album is, is something we did for a jazz, jazz festival. It was kind of one of like a project that was happening. Uh, jazz festival was in Vancouver. I mean, I used to have a, a, a band. Well, I guess I still think we just haven't done anything in a long time called East Van Strings. And that was with uh, myself, uh, Aiden Kang on viola, Peggy Lee on cello, and uh, Jesse Zubot on violin. So like a string quartet kind of a sorts. And then I had Sandy Trio with uh, uh, um, Vancouver musician uh, Kenton Lowen, great drummer, and Tommy Babin, who now lives in San Diego, is a great uh, bass player. So we had a project where we were going to combine those two groups, so, and uh, so that happened. And then I also wanted to, to, um, to add uh, uh, John Arabagon to it, so um, John joined that band. And the concert was kind of like we did one con- one. Uh, big concert we didn't actually do a tour for this it was just one concert for the jazz festival and then we recorded the next day i i had wanted to write kind of a long form piece mostly composed with some graphic score in it um but it's about a 25 minute piece that's all you compose and there's a little bit of improvising with john with that john does in the middle of in a couple different sections but it's a long uh, arc and piece that i haven't like i've never done anything like that before and i was kind of you know inspired just to do it and uh, with those guys and, and um, you know, they're all incredible. So we did that and then from that we took little sections of it and kind of developed it in, into little improvs and stuff afterwards. So the album has got the main piece and then bits of that piece that have been worked out um, with improv sections for the rest of the album. Yeah, I'm really happy with it. It's, I mean, I've had it for a while. It's taken a while to kind of get it out and finish it. It's unlike Nomad and kind of, it's, I've never, I haven't done anything like it before really and um it, uh, I hope people like it. <laughs> I, I really like it. It's kind of really grown on me. And uh, it, the band is just fantastic. I mean, everybody plays so great on it. And John does some stuff on there I've never heard before. It's pretty, pretty amazing. He's an incredible musician. Yeah, he really is. And uh, I encourage folks, uh, he's been on this show before, and you can go in the archives uh, and check that out, uh, as has Matt Mitchell, and as has not Jim Black, which I am realizing as we're talking is a ridiculous oversight in 13, 13 years of this show that he's never been on. So that's something I should fix, I guess, coming up. 
I wanted to just ask you or talk to you or maybe just compliment you on an album of yours uh, that I've always really liked, uh, or always, it's only been on a couple of years, but um, called China Cloud. It's it's phenomenal. And I just I know we're here to talk about, you know, kind of more recent records, but I just want to encourage anyone who's listening to the music you're hearing in today's interview um, to also go seek out China Cloud, which is just it's a brilliant solo recording. And it just it hits all my spots. Everything about it. I just really, really enjoy, especially because the first time through, there were some moments when I couldn't actually figure out what was making some of the sounds. And I, you know, kind of realized afterwards, like there's some bowed guitar and things on there. But it's uh, it's just adventurous and and beautiful and exciting to listen to, and so I guess I'm just giving you a compliment. But I really dig that record a lot. Oh wow, thank you, man. That's fantastic. Like it's funny that that record I made at uh, at the China Cloud, this my favorite club in Vancouver, and uh, my friend Mark Lawrence had a studio in the back, so we did like a live concert and then um, and recorded that solo, mostly just mostly just acoustic that, uh, like my art stuff, but just acoustic and oud, and then the next day. We did more, uh, used, used the same space, but just played all day and used a lot more kind of effects and stuff. And then just, you know, I kind of edited edited it together. Everything was improvised, but then I sort of like took some bits from here and there. And um, like, yeah, I'll cut out the song, kind of edited it a little bit to put it together. But it's funny because when the, the album came out, it didn't really do much at all. But then I, I, I'm, it's kind of had legs, which is fantastic. And it won a Juno in Canada, which I couldn't believe happened. So that was pretty amazing. And, um, yeah, pe- people still ask me about it. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. I've got another solo album in the works that's just getting finished now. That's just all classical guitar and oud and, uh, all new pieces I wrote for that, that I've been working on for a few years. And I've got another electric kind of solo album in the works coming up. But yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's great. And it feels good. Since this is your first time on the jazz session, I just wanted to ask, uh, we don't have to go through, you know, an exhaustive history of, you know, I played music in band or whatever, but I am curious yeah. how you started hearing music that is akin to the music you now play. Because I'm always curious about how people find kind of non-mainstream sounds to start realizing that those sounds are possible. So I would just like to ask you that question. I guess when I was when I was 13, I had a really great guitar teacher who brought me a bunch of different records and different sounds. So he brought me a lot of like Indian and Arabic music. And that's where I first heard the Oud and, and a lot of early Bill Frizzell records and, and, you know, tons of Keith Jarrett. And actually even before that, actually, there was a library close to me and they had a bunch of ECM records. So I was taking out a bunch of ECM records and, and, you know, read Miles Davis's biography, that kind of thing. And just kind of tried to find roads of who they were listening to and then, who came after them and uh, kind of this weird connection. And a lot of it came out of ECM and then uh, my guitar teacher showing me a bunch of different music from kind of all over the world. And that really got me on exploring things that weren't kind of the mainstream. But at the same time, you know, I was in, uh, going through high school and everything, listening to, you know, a lot of, you know, Rage Against Machine and Soundgarden and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of all came together. And, and then just kind of following that path, through university i was a really big i kind of really got into piano players like i love i love keith jared and then was a really big paul blay fan and that kind of took me off in another direction you know started studying with gary peacock and that you know blew my mind open that was one of the greatest uh you know ex- mentor kind of student relationships i've ever had will you say more about that just more about studying with gary yeah so i met him after a keith jared concert and it was it was a I kind of had read a book that I knew he was into. It was kind of like how he thinks about music, and it really made a lot of sense to me. So we kind of talked about that quite a bit. 
and then we started studying together, and it, it was uh, it was it was really uh, mind opening. You know, it's kind of like all the things I kind of knew about music and kind of in- inherently understood. He was really amazing at being able to talk about those things because those are things that most people weren't talking about. Like I'd go to music school, and all the things they were talking about didn't make like they made sense. Their you know theory and all these kind of logical things. I was like, yeah, but that's not really what's going on. And and it was kind of like inherent things I kind of knew but couldn't quite vocalize and he was Gary's amazing at that because he has a biology degree so he's able to talk about sort of like organic things in a really scientific manner kind of thing so he was able to really help me kind of voice the things I've been thinking and knowing for a long time so that kind of changed how I thought about music and also you know we really worked on ears in a in a different way about using your ears and able to open it, open up the possibilities that are uh, happening all around and, and uh, instead of using it to like narrow in and name things that kind of opened up my ears in a, in a different way. Is there a certain sense of like getting permission when you meet somebody like that? I don't mean that in the strictest sense, but like when somebody else starts, when somebody else affirms the way you think about music, does it give you some feeling of, okay, now I can, now I can pursue this, this course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's that, that, that kind of happens where it's also like just, where someone gives you even like the, yeah, the permission to do your own thing even too, which I kind of always kind of had, you know, like I, I was always doing it anyway, um, which is very, very lucky, I think. But um, yeah, having someone, someone like him be like, yeah, that, you know, do figure it out. You know, basically like, <laughs> don't listen to me, basically, you know, it's like, don't listen to me. Like, I, I'm not going to make a method that you follow and then do, you know, it's kind of like, you figure it out. These are the, you know, this is kind of how you learn to trust what is happening to you and trust what you believe in and what you hear and what you like and, and kind of, you know, uh, go with that. And it was similar. Actually, I studied with uh, Tim Byrne for, for, for a short period of time, and that was kind of similar to his too, where it was like, you're trying to write what's logical for you. You know, like what makes sense to you. That's your whole thing is you're, you're, you're trying to hear, you're trying to figure out what you hear and then you play what you hear. That's, how you are, you know, that's how you express yourself. And that, and having them, having, you know, him or, you know, Gary say, yeah, that's what you do. You know, that's what I've done. And you're like, oh, okay, then I'll just do that. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you know, <laughs> gotta like help simplify things for you or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. really wonderful. Let's take one more break from the show to thank the people who make it possible. The Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com did the theme music. Dave Rabel designed the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hear him at hearchucknow.com. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. I often post clips from the archives on those accounts. Please take a second right now to rate and review the Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast poetry and more, you can subscribe to the twice-monthly newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the show.
talk about what Vancouver is like as a town for improvising musicians? Oh, it's it's a definitely an excellent town for an improvising musician because there's uh, basically because of the jazz festival for years, Ken Pickering had brought in so many amazing musicians uh, like this, you know, uh, I don't know how old it is now, but Jesus, going back like 40 years and it's like there, there's all this European music coming and all this U.S. music coming to the town, which can be really isolating because Vancouver, we had kind of like, you know, you can't quite go over the border to play in the States very much. You, you, there's an, Once you travel uh, east, you know, you've, it's 12 hours and before you get to Calgary, like there's so much space. So you kind of feel isolated. And then having all these musicians come in, it really changed the landscape of the music scene. And not only did he bring people in for us to just listen to, like the Jazz Festival brought all these people in that, and had us play with them. So all the people, you know, generations above me were coming in and they were playing with all the heavy, you know, European cats. And it's so it really, you know, I kind of educated not only the musicians, but also the audience. So it built this audience in Vancouver that is appreciative of this music. And uh, uh, so having that as an opportunity is pretty huge because then you, you, we, you know, we all kind of grew and all heard all kinds of music that we wouldn't have necessarily heard there. The other thing that's great is that it's kind of a, um, it's not very isolating within the scene. So there's a lot of like really like, you know, like mainstream players playing with real out players and people from the world music scene playing with all the jazz musicians. So everybody kind of mixes together and there isn't a, uh, there isn't so many kind of boundaries drawn so that people won't play with each other. There, I mean, that was there a little bit in the past, but now it's completely wide open and everybody kind of is inspired and plays with each other. And that really has helped to uh, create a scene that's really creative and nurturing of new people and of um, um, doing your own thing. Man, it sounds fabulous. I've always heard such great things about Vancouver, you know, just as a place, but I, I mm. haven't talked to all that many musicians who make it their home. And I mean, that description sounds pretty incredible. Yeah, pretty great place to live. Great, <laughs> great music happening there. Yeah. Speaking of Vancouver, uh, if you're listening to this in real time, in other words, if today is January 8th, 2019, where you are, and you happen to be in Vancouver, the Nomad Trio is at the Orpheum Annex tonight, and then the tour continues through January 17th across Canada, and then in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Chicago, Illinois, and I don't know why I'm saying the states as if people aren't sure exactly where, where these towns are, and then <laughs> New York City, which is in New York State, if that's helpful at all for you to locate it. The tour runs uh, pretty much every night so if you want to see this band uh, you can kind of follow them from uh, west to east across north america and then uh, in on the canadian side and then down into the u.s uh, and you know i highly recommend that you uh, take some of your hard-earned bread and spend it on supporting live music and in particular on supporting these three great musicians given how much stuff you have put out recently and how many projects we've talked about are either out now or forthcoming just in the course of this interview I do wonder how you kind of make space for it all and, you know, also just to perform regularly and to do whatever else you do in your life. It seems like you have so many projects going on at any one at any one time. It it almost feels overwhelming to me just thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a lot keeping it all going. I mean, I think the thing that really, you know, makes it work is that it's kind of they're concentrated time periods like January. Like we like with Nomad, you know, we haven't played since, since last January. So this. This year, kind of this tour is like you know, we I kind of get to play with these guys like once a year, you know, because everybody's so busy for like big schedules. And my quartet plays a little bit more regularly. We're going to Europe at the end of 
this tour. We were in Europe from the 20, what is it, 22nd to the 27th, um, which is my quartet with Oscar Noriega, Russ Lossing, and Satoshi Takeshi. And then, so it's kind of like I've, I, I kind of have specific periods, and then, you know, I write the music for that, get that happening, do the tour, and then move on to the next one. But it is, uh, it is a lot, and it's hard. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, just kind of working all the time. And basically, yet there's always like logistics stuff, and I'm very lucky to have an amazing support system in my family. My partner is uh, helps me with all of this, and is is amazing. Genevieve Monroe, she's uh, um, very supportive and uh, very helpful in making sure that all the kind of logistic stuff gets done and all the other work that I have in my life and that my life can keep moving and we can all kind of still have a family and still, you know, have time to have a life outside of working this much. So that's kind of how it happens. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned your quartet because it is outstanding and contains, well, uh, several of my favorite players, including one of yeah. my just favorite uh, horn players of all time, Oscar Nierge, who's just a, a giant giant in my mind and so i guess i'd just like to ask about that and how if people are hearing uh, samples from you know primarily from the nomad trio today it, what mm -hmm. different side of your musical or composing personality does the quartet bring out well I mean, those the quartet kind of brings out i mean it's those guys so i mean they have the music's all written for them specifically so it's kind of you know de developed around their voices and like their uh, um, what they bring to the music compositionally what I, with that band is uh, the pieces are a lot longer and a lot more episodic so it moves between like four or five different spaces within one one piece and uh, um, that kind of brings out all different aspects of everybody in the band's kind of playing but it it, it really is that thing again about like like writing it is one thing and I, I um, I'm writing music that I think that they'll like and that will work with their uh, with their musician musicianships and their voices but it's really like that thing about this like finding the people and then that's the band you know like how you hear like how russ plays is like just giving making sure there's enough space for him to to be him you know and to play you know beautifully you know and have, have these huge uh improv sections where he can just stretch out the same with oscar and the way they two those two play together and then giving sections for satoshi to play it it just it, like Having them, giving uh, enough space for them to, to, to speak is kind of the whole point of that band. And then uh, it's kind of created its own sound around that. Yet another project of yours uh, is a band called The Marrow. Uh, will you tell us about that? 
Yeah, so the, the mural started out with really me, Hank, and Mark Elias. We did a, a few of my pieces that are kind of like modern Arabic kind of pieces. We were playing as a trio, and then that kind of developed with this uh, amazing Persian percussionist who now lives in Montreal named Hamin Hanari, who is, uh, uh, I've played with his family. His whole family is like his brother's an amazing guitar player and tar player. And um, Hadayat, and his, his dad Reza is an amazing Kemache player, and his mom Fatia is an incredible singer. So they have a family band, and, they've, uh, and they have a band called The Sean that I've played in quite a bit. So then kind of developed wanting to, to have some of that Arabic and Persian influence music that comes out of the Macomb and Daska systems, but do more contemporary music, do music that like I've written for these specific musicians so that they can come to that music, but then also feel free to improvise whichever way they want to and bring their own voices to it. Hank and Mark and, uh, and uh, me and Hamid have started that. So we have a quartet. And then recently we have a new album coming out where we added Josh Zubat on violin, who's a credible um, violinist from Vancouver. So, that group kind of explores Persian and Arabic-influenced music and the Macomb. And in that band, we've had um, uh, Matt Maneri. We did a, a big tour of Matt Maneri filling in on violin, which, or in viola, sorry, which was incredible. And then most recently, we did a tour with Mark Feldman, who joined us on violin. And every time, you know, there's a different musician, the, you know, the whole nature of the band changes. The, the core kind of ideas and concept is all there, but they bring their individual take on that music and it's been incredible to see how different players kind of navigate that world especially for me coming from the same place being you know studied arabic music but mainly coming from a a western kind of jazz influence or improvisational background and then playing an an arabic instrument kind of trying to navigate those two worlds and still you know speak with my own kind of voice and then hearing that and hearing you know, like what Matt Maneri comes up with with that or Mark Elias does or Hank or Mark Feldman or Josh is like, it's been really incredible. And that band is, we're going to have a new album coming out um, later on this year too. I think it's going to be coming out in April. It's like a completely different kind of project than any, any of the other projects I have. And I, I, I just play Oud in that. But yeah, it's a very inspiring group that uh, my hope keeps going. And that's the whole thing is just trying to keep those bands going, you know, doing one or two tours a year and keeping the keeping the repertoire up. I kind of laughed when you mentioned that Josh lives in Vancouver because I was thinking up to that point, I don't think you'd mentioned any musician who lives within like <laughs> 500 miles <laughs> of your house. Yeah. Like as a as a logistical process, hiring a few more Vancouver yeah. musicians is probably not the worst idea you ever had. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, I've got, I've got, well, my, the big band I have is Haram. It's my band with Vancouver. Actually, we've got an amazing show coming up in uh, February. Uh, Haram is, is basically like it's not everybody I love the Vancouver scene, but it's all the ones I could get to play in one band with me, you know? So it's like, they're, it's, it's fantastic. And it's the same rhythm section as, as the Septet, Kenton Lowe and Tommy Fabin. Ahmad Armouche, who's a great uh, Syrian singer and Nay player. Uh, Liam McDonald and Tim Gerwin on Rick and Darbuka. And then Francois Houle clarinet, J.P. Carter on trumpet, Chris Kelly on saxophone. And then Jesse Zubat on violin. And then John Zubat joins us on violin quite often, too. But we've got a great concert coming up February 28th with Mark Rebo, who's going to be joining us. We're going to do a concert in Vancouver, then we're going to do a recording, and then we're going to do a concert in Seattle at the uh, town hall. So there's some things coming up with that band, which is, which is really exciting. And that, you know, the band's so big, we don't get to tour that often. But it's usually about, same thing, usually about one tour a year we get to do as, as that whole band. And it's, 
it's quite fantastic to have that many people in one band that are so individual. Each one of those musicians is their own character. And then having this group, it, it, it helps to have, with that group, where the repertoire we play is uh, Arabic classic music out of the sort of like Egyptian radio music. And then we also play Iraqi folk music. And also we started playing a lot of Sudanese music, which has kind of been how the bands developed because it's come out of a lot of Arabic music that we were playing. It's kind of like a small group of Arabic musicians and um, a lot of people more versed in avant-garde kind of jazz music playing that repertoire. And then the rhythms kind of also kind of moved towards how Sudanese music is like melodies are fairly Arabic influenced, but the rhythms are more kind of like African based. So it kind of has this, there's a different lilt to it, which is kind of how this group has developed. So yeah, I'm really excited about that project coming up and hearing how that works with Mark Rebo is going to be a blast. I guess it's time for me to convince my partner to move to Vancouver because all of this sounds <laughs> so amazing and I wish I were significantly closer to it all than I am. Come out in June, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come out in the, sun, in the summer. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, point well taken. My guest for this show has been Gordon Gardina. Uh, he has, as you've all just heard, about a half dozen albums coming out in the next several months, and I just can't encourage you strongly enough to dig into whatever he's doing because uh, no two things sound the same, and uh, everything I've heard so far has been fabulous. Gordon, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you'll come back because there's so much more we can talk about and so many more albums still to come, but uh, just consider yourself welcome back anytime, and thanks for doing the interview. Thanks so much, Jason. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, Gordon Gardina. Next week, my guest will be organist Brian Charette. Until then, support live music whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.